Welcome, everyone, to another week of our four-and-a-half-year verse-by-verse journey through all of God's inspired Word. But this week, I have a special treat for you. Uh, My friend Omer is here with me in the studio, and we are going to uh, talk about things from his perspective as an Israeli on some things that touch on our own attitudes toward things from the Scripture. So I hope you will find this interesting. Now, many of you... You don't know who Omer is. A few of you do. But uh, I want us to start in today's program by getting to know him. So, Omer, welcome. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you for having me. I am so glad to have you here and been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, And uh, you and I have gotten to know each other because of my first trip to Israel back in 2018. Uh, Our little twosome that I was part of ended up being on one of your tours. And uh, after that, I went back a couple more times and brought more people with me and uh, was planning on going again this October, this past October, and then the Hamas incident happened. And so uh, we've had to reschedule that trip. Uh, But um, why don't we just start by this? Tell us a little bit about your, your family history. How was it that your family ended up in Israel? Well, my family, uh, I have two sides. Of okay. course. I have uh, the German side and the Hungarian side. So the German side were pioneers. They came to Israel actually at the beginning of the 30s, before the Holocaust. Uh, they purchased land in Jezreel Valley because my family is very biblically oriented. And my great-grandfather uh, said that he would like to be at the place where the Bible actually took, where the stories actually occurred. So he bought land next to Shunem, where Abishag, the Shunemite. Okay. So my family, my German side is very old in Israel. I mean, uh, uh, funny enough to say, uh, according to the media, we are Palestinians, according to, uh, <laughs> to them. Uh, my Hungarian side came after the Holocaust, and uh, they came in 1948. Uh, as refugees from... Uh, so right after yes. World War II. Yes. They, my Hungarian side went throughout the entire Holocaust. My German side, those who moved to, uh, to Israel, of course, were spared from the Holocaust. Those who stayed in, uh, in Germany perished. So um, uh, that's, that's how they ended up uh, in, in Israel. The, the thing is that they both came because of Zionist uh, uh, aspiration. It's yes. not... Um, Back then in the 30s, my German family could immigrate to the United States. But again, because my family is very biblical, my great-grandfather said, no, 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 I want to be in a place that is associated with the Bible. Okay. Uh, now, you knew your grandparents, I take it, and did they talk to you about some of those experiences uh, during the Holocaust? Uh, well, my German side, I didn't know that them. My my grandparents, they died before I was born. Okay. On my other side, yes. And we Holocaust was a big deal in my family. That actually shaped a lot who I am, who my girls are, and my girls are fourth generation to the to the Holocaust. But it's a still, it's a very very big deal in my, in my family until today. Okay. How do you communicate a lot of that information? Because I know it's important from one generation to the next to keep these things fresh. I know um, 
Vachnim, what was Yad the name Vashem? of it? Uh-huh. The Holocaust Museum yeah. uh, is quite important to trying to keep that information alive. But, I mean, you're doing that on a personal level, too, at home, I take it. I was just going to give an example to our, to our okay. listeners. In my bookshelf, in my living room, there is a passport which belongs to my great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. It's a deportation passport because the Germans deport the Jews. My grandfather was one of them. It has a Nazi stamp on it. And next to it, there is my diplomatic passport as a consul of the state of Israel. And I pinned into that Israeli passport a symbol of an SS officer that I have in my okay. home. So as, 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 a, as a sign of victory, because it's now inside an Israeli diplomatic passport. So my, my girls see that every single day. And Holocaust is very, very strong part of who we are and, uh, and the way we act as a family. Is that pretty typical then for all the other Israeli families that you know there uh, in the land? Those with with roots in the Holocaust, yes, definitely. That will explain a lot, for example, when you see how uh, Israel reacts to those who say, we are here to kill you. Uh, we take it very seriously. When mm-hmm. Iran, for example, says we're going to annihilate Israel, Hitler also said in the 30s, we're going to kill the Jews. Nobody believed him. Because... This, this is something that it's, it's, it's interesting that we speak about it now because of the current events, current situation going on right now. And this is something I want to share with our audiences. My German side, when they left Germany, my great-grandfather fought in the First World War in the army of the Kaiser. Mm-hmm. We actually have an Iron Cross from the German army of 1916. He was one of the, you know, one of the, the backbones of the community. You know, they, they, they uh, uh, were very much involved in everyday life. They were very well respected. And he always said that the biggest thing for him was the betray of Germany. Because if you would have asked him before he came to the land of Israel, are you Jewish? He said, I'm German first. Then I'm Jewish. The betray that Germany yes. did to them, that is something that sadly I see today with many Jews today, also in the States, mm. when they see uh, in, in Europe, of course, imagine a, a family in England that the, the roots of the family goes back to the 16th century. They fought in all the wars of England. They bled in Second World yes. War, First World War, all of those. And all of a sudden they see riots saying kill the Jews in London in 2023. And the government does nothing about this. So for a Jew that has this, this uh, 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 charge, this history, this, this, this sack of the Holocaust, um, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Thank you. Um, along that same line, and kind of transition into your own personal experience, uh, how does this get taught in uh, the schools there in Israel about the Holocaust and, and uh, the establishment of the of the state and all of that. I mean, is that a really big part of the curriculum? It is. Yes, it is. In Israel, we don't just call it the Holocaust. We call it the Holocaust and bravery. It's not just the Holocaust. It's a Holocaust and bravery because there are many, many, many stories in the Holocaust of uh, uh, young Jews that lost everything, lost everybody, and just said, you know what? I'm going to commit my life to fight Nazis. Uh, And they did. And a lot of those Partisans, Jewish partisans, formed the IDF later on. Many of the battles that we know in 1948 were fought by Holocaust survivors that used to fight against the Nazis. 
So it's not just the Holocaust. It's the entire buildup of the state, the modern state of Israel. Every year, of course, we have the Day of Commemoration right. of the Holocaust. Yes. Uh, which is a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I was there one of the years mm-hmm. for that. And in fact, it was the 70th anniversary, and I remember we were there that yep. that particular week. And the symbol of that day, by the way, is not gas chambers or, or anything like that. The symbol of that day is the commander of the uh, uh, ghetto Warsaw Uprising. His name is Mordechai Anilevich. That's the symbol of the day because it's, it's uh, uh, the way that Israel looks at the Holocaust is that this is an atrocity was, that was done to the Jews, but there were many atrocities. The outcome of that atrocity was, one of those outcomes was the establishment of the State of Israel and the establishment of the IDF. And this is, this is a, 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 I think, different than, let's say, to commemorate the expel of the Jews from Spain or any pogroms that were done uh, in the Jewish communities in the 19th and beginning of the 20th century. The Holocaust is a commemorate event that changed the understanding of the Jewish nation forever. And because, and I, don't, I wouldn't say just because of that, but one of the reasons for the establishment of the state of Israel was the Holocaust. Yes. And, and I can see that when I visited Yad Vashem to, to see the, uh, the kids that were there going through uh, that winding mm-hmm. path in order to, to see the exhibits. And uh, yeah, very important. Tell me a little bit about your experience of growing up in Israel. I mean, how would it differ from things going on here in the United States? <laughs> it's, it's, it's different. <laughs> it's very different. Um, I grew up, as I said, in a very biblical-oriented uh, house. Bible is a big, big, big part of who we are. Uh, and Were you in the kibbutz? No, I was in a moshav. Okay. Moshav is the capitalist form of a kibbutz. Okay. We are capitalists. And I'm very proud to say that. We, we are capitalists. Most of us are right wings also. But uh, um, uh, the Moshav, uh, where I grew up, is the first Jewish establishment that was built in 1911 uh, in Jezreel Valley. It's called Merchavia. Merchavia comes from the Book of Psalms. Okay. And uh, uh, every Shabbat, every Saturday, my father used to take us hiking to biblical site, open scriptures, and show us where it happened. He did this to me. I'm doing this to my girls. So, for example, I now live in the Golan Heights. I live in the place where Jesus cast the demons, literally at the place, at the Cliffs of Gadara. My girls are surrounded and immersed completely in scriptures. So when it's kind of like, you know, when how the Bible describes Jesus, when, when he said he taught as one of an authority, not one of the scribes, this is how you gain your authority. Because you live inside the bible you leave you that's what you see in front of you if you're going to look at someone from chicago for example you can ask them what is the first thing that comes to their mind they'll tell you deep dish pizza <laughs> where in israel it's uh you know what you ask my girls what is the first scripture that comes to your mind they'll tell you mark five because that's that's what they see right okay um one of the things that's an experience of growing up in israel of course is idf service could you explain a little bit about how that national service works and uh, what your experience was with it and um, maybe some of the exceptions? Because I know there are some exceptions as to who serves, mm-hmm. uh, even though that's been, kind of been touched on lately uh, by events there yeah. in Israel. Yeah. So by law in Israel, every boy at the age of 18 needs to go to three years of mandatory service and every girl for two years, even though now they're changing it to three years as well. Um, the people who are exempt from that are ultra-Orthodox, that they don't join the army. That's a big, touchy 
subject in Israel. We don't like it at all. They should serve like everybody else. But this is politics. It's not for this for this show. Um, I was in my military service. And by the way, after those three years, you still go on reserves. So in my unit, you go on reserves until the age of 36. Because after 36, you're just too old for my unit. <laughs> um, I was in, uh, in uh, special forces of the uh, paratrooper brigade. Uh, and I always laugh by saying that I was the only paratrooper who never jumped out of a plane. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I got did shoved. You, did you do the? Oh, okay. Yes, There's where times. we're going yes, with this. Yes, I put I put a fight on the way down, kicking <laughs> and screaming. But well, see, I used to be in the Air Force, and our big joke was, "Why would you jump out of a perfectly good aircraft?" Amen. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. I still don't understand why you would do this. I mean, when you think when you think about it, paratrooper—that's a Second World War tactics. <laughs> Any kid with a slingshot can kill you. That's pretty idiotic to jump out of a plane. But okay, we did it. And by the way, no insult to all of our paratrooper <laughs> friends out there. We know that you are big and strong and could do us in. So absolutely, thank you for your service as well. <laughs> for those paratroopers who are listening to us, I can tell something that they will understand very, very well. The problem is not the jumping out of the plane. The problem is to carry that parachute back with you and that way more than you. So everybody, I'm sure the people now are nodding and saying, amen, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so after those uh, uh, three years of mandatory service, I was on reserves. I did participate also in battles. In uh, uh, It's called uh, Operation uh, uh, Defensive Shield uh, in 2002. And uh, now that I'm in, in my mid-40s, I'm no longer in my designated unit. I'm today what you guys will call it... Uh, uh, National Guard, I think you guys call it here. Similar, right. to, that, similar right. to that. It's under the army. It's still military, but it's not like full scale. Now, like, you're officer level, correct? I'm first sergeant. Oh, you're first sergeant. Yeah. Okay. Much, so an NCO. Okay. That's much better than an officer. Well, yeah. And then, yeah, the first sergeants usually run stuff. They're exactly uh, in right. The, units. the, the officers, they're the commands, the first officer implement them if they want to or not. That's, <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So um, tell me about your family and uh, also your career. Uh, let's start with the family first. Uh, I've, I've met your wife and your mm-hmm. girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, right, mm-hmm. is uh, your wife's name. I can never remember the two girls' names. Ella and Tamar. Ella and Tamar. Yeah. All yeah. right. So, uh, yes, I have. Uh, my parents, by the way, are still alive. May they live long and prosper. Now, they're the reason that you moved to the Golan, right? Because yes. they lived there yes. in the Golan. Yes, they, they live close to the Golan. So, you know, the Bible commands us to honor your father and your mother. And my parents, both of them are approaching their 80s. And uh, this is something that is important to me to show to my girls. My parents were there for me until now. Now, Thank God they're good, they're in health, everything is fine, but you never know. So today I live 40 minutes from them, and it was a big deal. It was a big deal for us to move to the Golan to show as, a, as an example to the girls what you do when your parents became, become older, even though everything is fine. Everything is fine, but it was, it was very important to me. So you can see my home where I grew up from my backyard. You can see the mountain. I remember where. you showed us mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So both of my parents are still alive and they're healthy. Uh, I have two sisters. One of them lives in New Zealand and another one is used to be uh, next to Gaza, but she's a refugee actually now. My sister is a refugee. So she was evacuated on uh, uh, October 7. There were no casualties on, on over there, but they did fled. Um, I got two girls, Ella and Tamar. Ella is 12. She's celebrating bat mitzvah right now. And Tamar is nine. And I have my wife, Michal, that she is 
the biggest blessing I can possibly imagine because, brother, I would never marry me. <laughs> and now I know that she has a special gift for making jewelry as well. Yeah, yeah. And I want you to plug her website for that right now because she makes beautiful handmade jewelry uh, with a special flair yeah. of, uh, well, that that's hers. So talk a little bit about that for her benefit. Michal is extremely talented woman, extremely. And she makes jewelry out of silver and gold, sometimes diamond, but mostly silver and gold. And almost 99% of her jewelry are biblically oriented. Again, Bible is a big deal in my family. So, for example, she made a pendant that looks like the Sea of Galilee with a gold cross in it. And then it's, it's made on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So uh, her Facebook page is especially by me. So just, she doesn't have a website. She's horrible in marketing. She's an artist. Uh, but her Facebook page is especially by me, and she is doing incredible work and ship it all over the world. There you go. So people that are looking for a very special gift, uh, mm-hmm. they can do that. I know those that go on the trips with us to Israel, they always get to visit your house. Yeah. And Mikhail is more than happy to show all of her work to everybody and, and uh, fulfill some orders like that. I told her that she change, she should change the name because the studio that she has is in our home on the Cliffs of Gadara. And I said you should put a sign saying China on it, and then she could say <laughs> it was made in China. <laughs> uh Talk uh, talk a little bit more about uh, your career uh, path that you've taken. I mean, you did your IDF yep. uh, national service, uh, then you went into a reserve status. But what else did you do? It was pretty big. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, after my military service, I uh, went to university, in Hebrew University, where I majored in historical geography, religion, and history. And then I was sent uh, to the small communities, the Jewish and non-Jewish communities of Ontario, Canada. That was my first posting. I was there for three years. I was in charge of all the relation between the Jews and the, not, the Jewish community and the non-Jewish community, mostly evangelical, even though not just, also Catholic, in all the scattered area in Ontario, Canada. So that was, uh, I, I spent a lot of time behind the wheel. So that was between the very young age, between the age of 25 and 28. So I was there. Then at the age of 28, I volunteered into a um, archaeological expedition to dig the Mayan, sorry, the, the Inca ruins in South America, hence my Spanish. So I was there for almost a year digging uh, the Inca ruins. I came back to Israel and then I became, uh, I got back to the government as a cadet. And I was a cadet until the year 2011. And then in 2011, I was shipped to my second posting which was, I was the consul of, I was the head of the, of the local uh, tourism consulate uh, between 2011 and 2016. And then I got back home and we opened the Bible Come to Life ministry and here we are today. Yes, very much so. And uh, we were actually talking and you're reminiscing a little bit because you used to come to this very building yes. that we're recording this in, uh, in order to do some tev- television uh, programming uh, whenever you were Living over in Chicago, right? Uh, almost every other Monday, yes. Pete Samuel, may he rest in peace, and I were very, very good friends. And we did a lot of recording here, a lot. <laughs> so this is a bit of a homecoming today to come in, into this building, and I'm it very, is. very happy for you on that. I, I want you to also uh, talk to me a little bit about, um, since we got a little bit of time here before we need to start wrapping up, talk about the, the religious makeup and non-religious makeup in Israel itself. Uh, because 
I think some of the people that study the Bible, they just assume all the Jews that you know today are exactly like the Jews in the Bible, <laughs> and that's just not going to work. No. So talk, talk a little bit about that. Explain some of the, the situation and the makeup today. I'm going I'm to reply to this by <laughs> using something funny. That if you ask an Israeli, not a Jew in the States, an Israeli, who are the Christians, they only know the Catholics. <laughs> that's correct. They think that all Christians are Catholic. They're all report to the Pope. They have no idea what evangelicals are. Funny enough, they don't even call evangelical evangelical. They call them evangelist. Uh-huh. And go and tell the difference. What between, there's a big difference between evangelist and evangelical, but this is for a different program. But in Judaism, especially in Israel, there are a lot of different Jewish denominations. Many. I know that in the States, you guys are familiar mostly with the Reform, the Conservative, and the Orthodox. In Israel, we have over 30 different denominations. That, and the spectrum is very, very, very wide from extreme orthodox, which are anti-Zionist, uh, because they believe the state of Israel is a sin and it should be established only when Messiah comes, but they are not even 1% of the, of the people. And that's interesting. They actually live there in, in Israel, mm-hmm. inside the mm-hmm. state itself, but mm-hmm. they think that it, it's illegitimate because the Messiah hasn't made it yet. Right, okay. right. You, you will see some of them in the riots and the rallies, the pro-Hamas, Sometimes you see Jews that, that uh, uh, are joining them. They, this is them. Yeah. This is them. But they are very, very small fraction percentage. I, I know some of them are a little bit of a hothead because in one of, the, in one of my trips to Israel, we were walking through an ultra-Orthodox mm-hmm. neighborhood when they decided to write and set a uh, big dumpster on fire. And I'm like, what is this about? Mm-hmm. This is like really strange. Nothing's going on. But they were upset about something, and I don't know what it was yet. I think they're always upset about something, <laughs> these guys. But yeah. the, listen, in every religion, in every society, you have the extremists. On every single one, there are extremists. Now, from them, you have what we call the uh, uh, Orthodox, mm-hmm. which are Zionists, but they don't serve in the military. Okay, so these are the people that have said that we have a problem with it right now. Now, some of them actually did volunteer, though, right? Absolutely. Most recently. Absolutely. Now there's a big change. Ever since October 7, 2023, we see a change. Because, it, you know, it's, it's, people don't like to be viewed as lazy parasites. They, they, they don't. They don't want to be a parasite of the society. Because it's, it's no fun. At the end of the day, it's no fun. And... Uh, their leadership kept on saying, oh, you shouldn't go with the other denominations because they will corrupt you. And they believed it. But now after, um, I think that Hamas, what they did on October 7, and this is how God works in mysterious ways. He actually united us in a way that Israel was not united like this, I, since, I think, since the establishment of the state. So, and that's because of Hamas. Um, but if we're going back to the denomination. Uh, you have Orthodox, Zionist Orthodox, that they definitely serve in the military. They have the black hats and everything, but they serve in the military. You have nationalistic Orthodox, that they are very much into scriptures, not so much into rabbinicals. They're still right. Orthodox, but they are the one with the needed yarmulkes. So they are very much into the, into the military. Some of the, uh, the, 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 the biggest chain of command that we have are from that denomination. Then you have uh, um, another denomination which will read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We are one of them. But we view Jesus as a Messiah a uh, second time. So we, we accept the resurrection and everything, but he came as a prophet first time, then Messiah second time. That's the second coming. After us, you're going to have the Messianic. 
And the Messianics are basically, they follow the Trinity and everything. But if you're going to call them Christians, they'll be very upset with you. They're going to say, no, we are Jews, like Jews in the first century AD. Right. So it's it's a lot of uh, vocabulary issues oh, yeah, for yeah, some yeah. of them. Oh, yeah. Okay. If you look at Judaism back in the time of Jesus compared to today, extremely, extremely different. Yes. Extremely different. First of all, we don't have Sadducees. Right. We well... Actually, you kind of do in a way. I mean, that's a secular Jewish person that keeps uh, traditional things for pragmatic reasons, but they really don't believe in the supernatural. Well, it's funny. When, when you say in Israel is secular, in the state, secular will be an atheist. Right. In Israel, a secular, we call it Chiloni. Chiloni is there the name. Yeah. Okay. But Chiloni is not atheist. Okay. Chiloni is someone who believes in God, definitely believes in God. Go to the synagogue on the high holidays, pray. He's definitely believing in God, but he rejects a lot of the rabbinical laws. Okay. Because those rabbinical laws, unlike the laws in the Bible, those rabbinical laws evolve through the 2,000 years of exile of the Jews. So a lot of them, uh, and, and the rabbis received a lot of power in those 2,000 years. So many, many denominations in Israel, now that we are back in the land, reject that power. It's kind of like, in a way, Martin Luther and the Catholic yeah, Church. Yeah, it, I'm sure there's an awful lot of those elements of, over time, different groups react to different groups. And yeah. it would probably take a nice little chart up on the wall to, to see how all of these groups kind of relate to one another. Mm -hmm. uh, now, we've only got two minutes left. Uh, so I want, I want you to remind everybody that not all Israeli citizens are Jewish. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Let them know that. Tell them about it. <laughs> Jews, Jews, Jews is a religion or ethnicity, but mostly religion. Israeli is a national. So, for example, you can be an Israeli and an Arab. You can be an Arab Israeli Muslim and you're still Israeli. You can be an Arab Christian Israeli. You can be a Jewish Israeli and it, you're still Israeli. Now, when I look at this, for example, if I, I'm a citizen of the state of Israel, I'm Jewish Israeli. I have a good friend who is a, 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 one of the drivers. You probably met him, Joe. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. Joe. Joe is a Muslim Israeli. We both have the same rights. He can go to the parliament if he wants. We have the, absolutely the same rights. Uh, uh, there's no difference. Same thing goes to the Christian. Christian Jews, uh, sorry, Christian Israelis have the exact same rights as everybody else. I think that is very important for everybody to understand. Because, uh, like I said, I think a lot of people here in the United States really get confused about this and think that, uh, you know, that that Israel is only for Jews. Not at all. That is not, not going to be the case. Actually, Israel is 80% Jews. 20% is non-Jews. Most of them are Arabs. And in those Arabs, you have Christians and Muslims. There is another full uh, religion in Israel called the Druze. Oh, yes, the Druze. Absolutely. Yeah, up wonderful. In the Golan in yeah, up in the Golan, yes. Wonderful people. They're not Muslims. Oh, you know what? You also have Baha'i. Oh, yes, the Baha'i faith. It's of probably course. a very small minority there. Very small minority, but their, their world center is in Israel, in Haifa. Well, well we've run out of time for this episode, so I'm going to ask everybody, please come back tomorrow as we continue this conversation with Omer from Israel.